his authority on immigration law. Oh, my goodness, he's a dictator. He's a tyrant. You cannot lose this argument. The Larry Elder Show, weeknights at 7 on AM 1420. The Answer and on Radio.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us as we get you rolling at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on what we like to call free for all Friday. And we're going to do our level best to make that happen. I do have two guests on the program today, so there will be a little bit of time in which you're not free to call for all. But uh, we do have a lot of opportunities for you today. It is a Friday, the 14th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord 2020. And we do appreciate you being with us. Coming up in uh, about a half an hour, we're going to talk with Kathy Barnett. She's a black woman. She's an author. And she likes writing about being a black woman, uh, especially a black conservative. She would fit right in with the uh, crowd at Uncle Tom, Larry Elder's movie, UncleTom.com. She wrote a great book about it. And she has thoughts on why Kamala Harris, another quote-unquote, black woman. And we say that, quote-unquote, only because, again, it's not as simple as black equals African-American. She has no African. She's Jamaican, and she's Indian. Whatever. Doesn't matter. For the purposes of the the presidential campaign, the left has decided she's a black woman because it fits the narrative that they are trying to advance right now with pandering to black voters. So Kathy Barnett is going to discuss that with us. She's got some very interesting thoughts on Kamala Harris. Uh, and how she may indeed be what Leo Terrell called her on Fox a couple of nights ago, in affirmative action. Forget about AA, African-American. She is an affirmative action vice presidential nominee. She fits the right race and gender. That's why she's here. So Kathy Barnett at 935, and then at 1010, it occurred to me yesterday, as I said at the start of the show, we haven't talked to Jack Windsor all week. Jack Windsor should never be ignored. Jack, of course, is the intrepid uh, investigative uh, reporter for WMFT Television in Mansfield who's been on the case of the uh, governor of the state of Ohio since the coronavirus lockdowns began. He is now also the managing editor at the Ohio Star, and uh, he has started an eight-part series about the Ohio Public Health Advisory System, oftentimes referred to as Mike DeWine's coloring book where he colors the different counties whatever color he wants them to be, yellow or orange or red or purple, 
based on essentially uh, his opinion because sometimes the numbers that correlate with those colors don't add up. And at any rate, he's using that to make mask mandates and other decisions. Jack Windsor will break all of that down for us. By the way, that'll be a 10-10. By the way, since I just kind of um, stumbled onto Mike DeWine, very, very interesting commentary yesterday at the Thursday version of his Tuesday, Thursday um, coronavirus uh, coronavirus, uh, uh, updates in the state of Ohio. We have all been waiting with bated breath. Well, I shouldn't say we all. Those of us who are parents of athletes and those of us who are just parents of students have been waiting for answers on whether or not schools will be open, and we have something of an idea. Some 38% of the schools reporting their plans thus far plan to open five days a week in-person classes, which is outstanding. Not enough, 38%, but outstanding. Around 25%, we were told yesterday, are going to have a hybrid model of reopening, some in-person, some virtual learning or remote learning, and then about another 25% are going all remote, which I think is just ridiculous. Um, But what about extracurriculars? What about sports? What about high school football? We're all devastated to know that we won't have Ohio State football this fall as the Big Ten has canceled their schedule. We're devastated about the Pac-12 also canceling, and now the MAC. The Mid-American Conference with so many Ohio colleges, you know, including, of course, you know, Miami of Ohio, Ohio University, Kent State, Bowling Green, Toledo, Akron, you know, they're not playing. And high school is, uh, well, it's teetering on the brink. And we've all been waiting for uh, Governor DeWine to make up his mind. And he has not yet done so. But yesterday, he said the announcement will come on Tuesday. And here's a hint. He said, we're going to leave most of this. That's very up in the air, that part. Most of this up to the parents and the schools. So it sounds like they're going to let high school football happen if the parents and the schools are okay with it. But the real question is, what kinds of protocols, what kinds of um, you know mandates are going to be included with that? In other words, it's not just going to be high schools. It's up to you. Have at it. It's going to be high schools. If you agree to test your players once a week, uh, and we saw that. That was originally part of a governmental order that they renewed a couple of weeks ago. Test your players and staff and everybody else associated once a week within 72 hours of a competition. Uh, That was the most important one because it's the most expensive one, and it's the one that's, quite frankly, the most ridiculous. If there's going to be a series of protocols that the governor is going to make the schools follow and spend money on in order to field their teams in all of these sports, not just football, but football is the biggest and most popular. Uh, but if there's going to be all kinds of you know uh, regulations like that, and then they're going to say, we're leaving it up to the schools, and then the schools say, well, we can't afford that, we have to pull the season, then Mike DeWine doesn't have to wear the, 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 the black hat. He doesn't have to be the bad guy. He's not the villain. I didn't call. I told them all they could play, but we just needed to take some common ste- uh, common sense steps <clears throat> to make sure that the student athletes and the coaches and the referees and everybody else are protected. And uh, Gray always likes to talk about grandma at home. You know, we don't want one of the athletes bringing the virus home to grandma if there's a you know a senior person in the home who's a caregiver or is being cared for or whatever. Um, you know, that way he doesn't have to be the bad guy. He can say, we said football could go on, but if the schools don't want to do it, well, that's up to them. So I, we'll see. 
And I'll get Jack Windsor's thoughts about that at 1010 this morning as well. Uh, I want to start with a piece of negativity um, because I, I've been so impressed by uh, what Team Trump has done, particularly yesterday. What a monumental achievement. In fact, let me back off of the negative. Let me hit something positive with the president. Yesterday, um, the peace agreement that he brokered between the United Arab Emirates and Israel is historic. It is an unbelievable accomplishment. It sets the table for even more peace accords to be agreed upon between Arab states, Muslim states, and Israel in the Middle East. It is just a really, it cannot be overstated how important this is. And that's why uh, Robert O'Brien, Robert O'Brien, the uh, uh, national security advisor, Uh, in the president's cabinet, said yesterday that what the president did is worthy of something, um, worthy of an honor that that, that really is deserved in this case. All right, we want to hear that. You want to pop that up for me over there, brother? Yeah, we're we're playing audio in here. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you may have just killed that segment. Uh, okay, so I guess we'll take a time out. Uh, it's 9.15, and we'll take a time out and come back and get into those stories and more right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. 19 minutes after 9 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Having all kinds of technical glitches, uh, monkeys in the system today, so uh, we'll let you know if we're going to be able to give you the audio that we want. So uh, the story that I was going to tell you that I said was kind of bad news, and I was going to set it up with some good news before that with Robert O'Brien, the national security advisor, praising President Trump and saying he deserves something special for what he has done in the Middle East. That would be the Nobel Prize. Uh, he does deserve the Nobel Peace Prize before the accord that he was able to broker between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Uh, 100% agree. Positive news there for the president, which is why I wanted to kind of give you that before I set up the the president's got to stop this nonsense right now. This birtherism is back because one idiot in the Trump campaign named Jenna Ellis, and yes, she is an idiot actually gave rise yesterday to the possibility that Kamala Harris won't be eligible to be the president and thus cannot be eligible uh, to be the vice president because of her parents' uh, um, birth, or excuse me, their parents' origin, uh, you know, uh, national origin, because mom is from India and dad is from, uh, from uh, Jamaica. But the bottom line is, that Kamala Harris was born in Oakland, California. I mean, this is just it. That's, that's it. By birthright citizenship, she's an American citizen and thus eligible to be president if it came down to that or eligible to be vice president. Everybody knows this. You don't have to like birthright citizenship, otherwise known as you know the, the process by which anchor babies are born in the United States to foreign citizens who come here, have their baby here, and then say, oh, my baby's an American citizen. Now you can't break up the family. You've got to let us stay, too, even if you came here illegally. Birthright citizenship, to me, I think is an antiquated notion in this country, and I don't think it ought to be um, you know, the rule of law, but it is. And so she's eligible. So Jenna Ellis, 
of the Trump campaign gives rise to this nonsense yesterday in a ridiculous tweet. And then yesterday at the press conference, President Trump was asked about it. And President Trump, instead of just rejecting the notion that Kamala Harris is ineligible out of hand, which he should have done, he just said, I don't know. He said, quote, I heard it today that she doesn't meet the requirements. Um, I have no idea if that's right. And, and now immediately, of course, the left has something new to pounce on. Trump is questioning the eligibility of another African-American on the ticket. He did it with the Obama thing, which a lot of other people did as well with the birtherism. Is he from Kenya? Is he from Hawaii? Et cetera, et cetera. Where was he really born? Birth certificates up in the air, blah, blah, blah. You know, and everybody has criticized and said, well, that was racist to question where he was from. It wasn't racist. Anything you say against Barack Obama was going to be deemed racist, but it wasn't. But it's over. And now here comes Kamala Harris, again, born of two foreign parents, uh, you know, in terms of their own national origin. But she's born in Oakland, California, period, end of story. And that's what he needed to say. She was born in Oakland, California. She'll never make it to Washington if he's smart. He makes a quip about it and says, look, she's eligible. She was born in Oakland. But I'll tell you this, she's never going to make it to D.C. because we're going to defeat her and Joe Biden. Instead, he gives, gives voice to uh, the question. And that's a huge problem. Th- these are unforced errors that just kill campaigns and kill momentum. Because now, again, the left, which doesn't need new reasons to hate and doesn't need new reasons to criticize and doesn't need any new reasons to call uh, President Trump a racist, now they have it because it's going to be, well, you're only doing this because she's a person of color and her dad is from Jamaica, blah, blah, blah. Unforced errors, absolutely unnecessary. All right. Uh, get, if you want to, by the way, uh, by the way, weigh in on any of this, you can do so at 216 or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. as I pivot to the Chinese coronavirus. And more importantly, what is happening to the people of this country and their health as a result of the Chinese coronavirus. And I am not at all talking about their health from being infected by the virus. What I am talking about is the latest CDC data. This is from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the latest CDC data that shows more than one quarter of young adults in the United States considered killing themselves in the month of June. A startling statistic that lays bare the impact of COVID-19, the pandemic, and more importantly, the, the reaction to the pandemic, the overreaction, the quote-unquote uh, cure, which is far worse than the disease itself. I'm going to do a quick math check here. I'm going to see if my, uh, my phone computer or phone uh, calculator, rather, will allow me to do numbers this big. 330 million people divided by 0.25 comes to, well, I did that wrong. I should have just done it divided by four. Well, that, that actually is not. I was going to say I thought it was a quarter of the population. So that's unfair. So I won't do that. But in a survey of 5,412 adults conducted from June 24th to the 30th, between the ages of 18 and 24, 25% of them, 25.5, so a little bit more than a quarter of them, uh, seriously considered suicide in the past 30 days before completing that survey, according to the CDC. To compare that, 
That's more than double the percentage of adults overall who reported suicidal ideations during the same time period. Young people are being impacted, 18 to 24, in extraordinary ways by the lockdowns, by the uh, uh, closures of businesses, by the mandates, by the uh, uh, shutting down of schools, and so on and so forth. Now, mind you, this comes on the heels of a report about two weeks ago that spoke specifically to high schoolers, teenagers in high school. This particular report is 18 to 24. The other one was teenagers in high school and the number of them that seriously consider. In fact, it wasn't those weren't those weren't uh, suicidal considerations. Those were actual deaths by suicide and or overdoses, which outpaced the deaths of people in the same, you know, children, kids, teenagers in the same in the same age range from COVID-19. More people were dying from suicide and from overdoses than were from COVID-19 in that age group. Now, we follow that up with the newest CDC numbers, showing that more than a quarter of them have seriously considered suicide in the last 30 days. Now, I was about to do that math, or 330 million divided by four and give it you know, one-fourth, uh, but that wouldn't have been fair. I don't know how many of the 330 million people in this country age 18 to 24, but you know it's in the millions. And millions of people, a quarter of millions of people, is still probably millions of people, if not hundreds of thousands, who have seriously considered suicide in the 30 days before. CDC found young adults were hit harder in other mental health areas, including symptoms of anxiety disorder or depressive disorder, COVID-19-related trauma or stressor-related disorder, TSRD, initiation of or increase in substance use to cope with COVID-19 or associated stress, noting that prevalence decreased progressively with age. Just over 40% of all students, or excuse me, just over 40% of all adults surveyed reported having at least one adverse mental or behavioral health issue in June. And that percentage jumped to 74.9% among those in the 18 to 24 subgroup. Okay, the numbers confirm the fears that CDC director Robert Redfield expressed last month when he warned that younger people would be at a greater health health risk of suicide, drug abuse and influenza, strangely, uh, than from exposure to the Chinese coronavirus. Redfield has advocated for the reopening of schools. Redfield and the CDC have said reopen the schools because he knows what this is doing to younger people. Increased instances of depression leading to increased attempts or at least considerations of suicide. The fear is real. The fear mongering being done by people uh, in, in prominent positions of authority is real. Including by people like Joe Biden who yesterday, one day after introducing Kamala Harris as his running mate, made his announcement that he believes every American... All 330 million of them, every American at every age, children, toddlers, seniors, everybody should wear masks for a period of three months any time they step outdoors. Three months at least, he said. He said that'll save 40,000 lives. The inference being if everybody doesn't strap a a, a diaper across their face, that 40,000 more people are going to die. It's fear-mongering at its worst, and it continues unabated. 
and people are killing themselves because of their depression, because of their anxiety, because of what is going on in this country uh, right now. And none of this, let me state that for the record, none of this is the fault of President Trump, who said, no, I'm advocating for face mask usage as well, he said, but people in America need to have their freedom. They need to be free. And they need to need to make their own choices, and I trust the people of this country to make their right choices. That's leadership. Not demanding that 330 million people surrender their First Amendment rights to free speech and free expression um, with the way they present. Kamala Harris said Joe Biden expressed leadership yesterday, displayed leadership yesterday. No. Leadership is President Trump saying, I think people should wear masks. But it's up to them to make up their minds because we live in a free country, not one in which the government daddies everybody. Where the government has to walk around and hold everybody by their pinky finger, walking them from point A to point B, making sure that they're bundled up outside, making sure that they're wearing enough sunscreen and making sure that they have diapers strapped across their faces. That is not what leadership is. President Trump is right. All right, let me get a timeout. I told you about Kamala Harris. She was picked. Because of the affirmative action nature of her, uh, of her makeup, she is female and she is a person of color. We're going to talk to Kathy Barnett next, an author, a black woman, an author who has um, got an opinion on this. She wrote a book about it, as a matter of fact. That she'll be coming up next, right here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. This is AM fourteen twenty. The answer. WHK W two seven three DG Cleveland, a service of Salem Media Group. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and it's 935. We are scheduled to talk with uh, Kathy Barnett, who, in addition to being an author, uh, nothing to lose, everything to gain, being black and conservative in America, and we're going to try to get her thoughts on uh, Kamala Harris being selected as Joe Biden's running mate. Uh, she's also a congressional candidate in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania's 4th Congressional District, which is kind of cool. So we're hoping to get uh, in touch with her. We are endeavoring to make that connection right now. Meantime, let me share this with you about the person that Kathy and I are supposed to discuss, Kamala Harris. I played this for the first time last night on uh, Larry Elder's show. If you did not know, I sat in for Larry yesterday, and I want you to listen to Kamala Harris. And you remember I told you just a few minutes ago about what group? More than a quarter of them contemplated suicide in the last 30 days during the month of June. 18 to 24-year-olds, right? What does Kamala Harris think about 18 to 24-year-olds? What else do we know about this population, 18 through 24? They are stupid. (laughs) That is why we put them in dormitories. And they have a resident assistant. That's not fake. That's not uh, edited. That's not Saturday Night Live. That's reality. That is what Kamala Harris thinks of 18 to 24-year-olds. By the way, what age are you uh, eligible to vote in this country? At what age? 18? Yeah. So everybody in that group, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, I hope you're listening Because this is what Kamala Harris thinks of you, that 18 to 24-year-olds are stupid. But that's not the best part. The part that I also played on Larry Elder yesterday, 
the follow-up to Kamala saying that 18 to 24-year-olds are stupid who make very bad decisions was this. The past couple of years have seen young people getting involved in politics and activism, organizing around issues such as gun control and climate change. Given that policies passed now will affect the younger generation for years to come, do you believe that Americans should have the right to vote at age 16? Okay, you heard the question, right? The same woman, Kamala Harris, who said that 18 to 24-year-olds are stupid and make really bad decisions says this about 16-year-olds voting. I'm really interested in having that conversation. I have to tell you that. Um, (laughs) I think that there is no question that um, if we are looking at what is going on in our country, we are putting more responsibilities on people at a younger age. And um, the larger number of people that we can involve in the electoral process, um, I think the more robust it would be. So 18 to 24-year-olds are stupid. 18 to 24-year-olds make terrible decisions. 16-year-olds should vote. (laughs) I just don't know what more you need to say, seriously, about Kamala Harris. What Kamala Harris is, is a walking, talking example of somebody who will say anything and do anything to get what she wants. She'll say the exact opposite thing of what she said prior in order to get what she wants, if this is the key to getting it. She will totally contradict and flip-flop on the position. For example, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Joe Biden has been accused of sexually assaulting a woman and, in fact, has multiple accusers of sexual assault. Kamala Harris, what say you? I believe them, and I, I respect um, them being able to tell their story and having the courage to do it. I believe them, and I respect them having the courage to tell their story. I believe them. So she believes Joe Biden is a sexual assaulter. And yet, she is willing to stand next to him and say, I love Joe Biden. Joe Biden is what a real leader is all about, and I can't wait to help take over this country with Joe Biden. You mean the guy that you said you believe is a sexual assaulter? Is, is that the same Joe Biden that you're talking about? Kamala Harris will do anything to get power. She'll do anything to get what she wants. Naked ambition. And in her case, that's real and literal. Because when she was 29, she put her naked ambition out there with a 60-year-old man. When she was 29, she decided to enter a relationship with a 60-year-old political power broker in California by the name of Willie Brown, who would go on to be the mayor of San Francisco. That's how she broke in and got her first break in politics. She literally will do anything. She'll do anything to get the power that she wants or to get whatever it is that she wants, whether it's power in one circumstance or whatever the case might be. That's something that uh, that, um, uh, Mike Huckabee talked about uh, on on uh, in the polls, bad. I want to bring in now former Arkansas governor and Fox News contributor Mike Huckabee. So, Governor, as we look at what's kind of rolling out this week and what's shaping up to be the details about Kamala Harris, what do you make of it all? Well, honestly, Harris, if uh, Kamala Harris is somewhat a moderate or even a conservative, when she's more liberal than Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. That would make me a unicorn, by example. I mean, that's 
ridiculous. And it's interesting, the progressives don't think she's progressive enough, but she's the most progressive liberal member in the entire U.S. Senate. So it makes you wonder, what do uh, the real leaders and uh, the folks calling the shots of the Democratic Party, what is it that they want? Somebody with an official communist card? I'm being half facetious, but uh, you can't get more liberal than Kamala Harris. But you got to remember that she's become that because at one time when she was the prosecutor, she wasn't quite so liberal. So I think what we have in her is uh, a person mm. who will do whatever she needs to do, say whatever she needs to say in order to get the levers of power. That's dangerous for the country. It is absolutely dangerous for the country, and that is an absolutely correct analysis. She will do whatever she has to do. She'll say whatever she has to say at that politically opportunistic time to get what she wants. And now we're supposed to believe uh, that uh, she's the right person to be the next president of the United States. And I said that. You heard me. I said what I said. Not vice. I think most people believe that Joe Biden's cognitive decline is going to lead to him ending his term before his first term and handing the reins of power over to Kamala Harris. Unbelievable. Let's go to a few phone calls now. Um, Tommy has been waiting patiently in Parma Heights. You're on AM 1420. The answer. Hello, Tommy. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, Listen, I just caught a little bit of this on Gallagher yesterday. Yep. And it got me fired up and I could not finish listening to it okay but why is nobody talking about the black lives matter riots in chicago when they went after the ronald mcdonald house and started damaging and scaring the hell out of those poor people in there i i've had to use ronald mcdonald house that is the worst time in a parent's life and these pieces of crap went after that. You can't tell me for one second that these these people didn't know what windows they were breaking. Well, um, I'm going to answer the question for you, uh, although I know you already know it, Tommy, and that's uh, I'm sure that's why you asked it, um, because this doesn't further the Black Lives Matter cause. This doesn't further the agenda that these are peaceful people just trying to find equity and equality for black lives in America. The mainstream media is not going to cover the looting and the smashing of the Ronald McDonald House because it makes BLM look like what BLM is. A violent, anarchistic, terrorist organization that is not interested in looking out for black lives, which would be a noble cause, but is interested in destruction of America as it is currently comprised. That is all they are interested in. Their founders admit that they are trained Marxists. They know how to bring about the change, the revolutionary change that they seek. And that is with racial division and with violence. Sick killed children and their families in a Ronald McDonald house don't mean squat to them. Their lives don't matter because Black Lives Matter is all about something else. More than 30 families, many of them with sick children, were left terrified in that Chicago Ronald McDonald house that uh, Tommy was just talking about during... Uh, Monday's chaos and the, the massive uh, violence and vandalism and looting spree 
uh, conducted by BLM and Antifa. We got to throw Antifa in there too because BLM is pretty much you know locked arm in arm with the uh, terrorists and anarchists at Antifa, most of which are made up of white liberals. By the way, that's the interesting part about this. It's ra- they're they're actually unifying races to be terrorists in order to divide the races in the rest of general America. White liberals in Antifa costumes teaming up with black BL, uh, BM, uh, or BLM uh, uh, terrorists, all joining forces in order to try to destroy uh, this country's foundational principles. Brick by brick, window by window, quite literally. So this is the reality of the situation. They don't care about anybody's lives, quite frankly. They'll attack. You're right. They they're not. They can't pretend they didn't know what they were smashing was not a high-end fashion store like Gucci or Louis Vuitton or something that they wanted to loot. There's signs on the on the door for doors for crying out loud, and on the buildings that say Ronald McDonald House. Everybody knows what it is. It's for children and families who are in desperate situations, and they attacked it anyway. But it doesn't further the agenda to publicize this. That's why the media has been silent about it. In the same way that they have been silent about this. I wasn't going to go here today, but I'm going to go here now. Raise your hand, and I'm just going to have to trust you since I can't see you. Raise your hand if you know the name Cannon Hinnant. Have you heard of the name Cannon Hinnant? All right, Derek, our producer today, has his hand in the air. I'm going to assume that the vast majority of people listening right now, your hands are at your side. And the reason why you don't know the name Cannon Hinnant is because he's a little five-year-old white boy who was murdered by a 25-year-old black felon in one of the most horrific ways that you can imagine in front of his young sisters. Cannon Hinnant was riding his bicycle in front of his dad's house in North Carolina this past Sunday evening. That's when a 25-year-old black convicted felon named Darius Sessoms walked out of his house up to the boy, put a gun to his head, and executed this 5-year-old boy. This happened this past Sunday, and you haven't heard a word of it. It has not just been underreported. It has been a blackout of coverage. No one is allowed to talk about this. No one is chanting, say his name, say his name, about five-year-old Cannon Hinnant. Why? Because he's white. And because Darius Sessoms is black. And if you question whether or not I'm correct about that, I would just ask you to do the whataboutism game here and answer this. If in a, in a small town in North Carolina... A young black five-year-old child was playing on his bicycle in front of his father's house, and a white 25-year-old convicted felon walked up to him and executed him. What would be going on in this country right now today? If you think it's violent in Chicago and in Seattle and in, uh, and in Los Angeles and in Oakland and in Portland and in Cleveland, you think it's violent now, what do you think would be happening? LeBron James would be on Twitter right now or all week long talking about say his name, say his name. Another young black boy hunted. We're straight up being hunted. 
Black Lives Matter would be all over the place. Donald Trump would have to answer the question about how a five-year-old black boy could be murdered uh, in cold blood right in front of his seven- and eight-year-old sisters, by the way, by a white, uh, 25-year-old white felon. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, everybody would be all over this. It would be CNN's lead story, 24-hour coverage. They would have moved CNN headquarters from Atlanta to North Carolina just to give this story the coverage that, by the way, it would rightly deserve. This is the point I'm making. If that had been a little five-year-old black boy who had been murdered in such a cold-blooded way by anybody... White or black, it should get that coverage. But the fact that it's a white kid and a black suspect, not suspect, but but killer, um, the fact that that is the case means no one has covered this. CNN isn't there. MSNBC isn't there. ABC, CBS, none of them are talking about this story. You have to seek out, actively seek out on conservative news sites anything if you want coverage of five-year-old Cannon Hinnant's murder. Say his name got trending on Twitter, uh, I think it was on Wednesday, for, I don't know, a couple of hours because enough online conservatives were saying to you then what I am saying to you now. Say his name. Cannon Hinnant. Say his name. And the reason why nobody is saying his name, and there's no riots in the name of Cannon Hinnant, there's no chanting about his life mattering for Cannon Hinnant. The reason for that is because he's not a young black child. He was a young white kid. And his life does not matter. I guarantee you this. If a police officer had been on the scene and had pulled out his gun and shot and killed 25-year-old Darius Sessoms, before Darius Sessoms fired and killed the uh, fired the shot that killed the little boy, I promise you they would be chanting, "Say his name, say his name," for Darius Sessoms, but not for Cannon Hinnant. Executed, five years old, on a little bicycle, in front of his father's home and in front of his seven and eight year old sisters, and no one will cover the story. Say his name. His name is Cannon Hinnant. His life matters. And his life would matter if it was a black life or a white life or an Asian life or a Latino life. His name and his life should matter. Be right back. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Okay, 955, a caller off the air just told Marcy, who's answering our phones, that uh, Tucker covered Cannon Hinnant. I did not see that. Uh, But rather than retracting, I would say that kind of buttresses my point. I might expect that from Tucker. I might expect that from Fox News. I might expect that, again, from conservative news websites and conservative radio shows. But that's the only place you will hear the story of Cannon Hinnant being executed by a 25-year-old black male, a little 5-year-old boy on a bicycle. Not from a distance, wasn't caught in the crossfire, walked up to him, placed the gun against the little boy's head, and killed him. Execution style. Not on CNN, MSNBC, or anywhere else. And that is exactly the point. 
Why is that? I got a message here from somebody who said Canon Hinnant was executed because he was guilty. He was guilty, this little five-year-old boy, of having white privilege. And white privilege doesn't matter. White privileged lives don't matter. Very, very, very hard to talk about, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Ray in Cleveland, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Ray, go ahead. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I wanted to point out that Article 2, Section 1, requirement of natural-born citizenship is not the very same as birthright citizenship. It was clarified back in the 1960s in the law that natural-born citizenship comes through the parents. If one parent or both parent parents holds U.S. citizenship, their child is a natural-born citizen. It does not mean the person has to be born on U.S. soil. But this law back in, or this clarification back in the 60s was pulled off the Internet in 2011 when people were questioning Obama's citizenship. Well, here's here's the thing, Ray. Um, you know, the, the actual language, as I understand it, uh, as far as qualifications for the presidency, which is why we're talking, and thank you for the call, my friend, uh, that's why we're talking about this, uh, is, is this. No person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of president. Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who shall not have attained to the age of 35 years and been 14 years a resident within the United States. So let's just, you know, get get to it, Uh Kamala Harris was born in Oakland, California. She is much older than 35, and she has been in the United States much longer than 14 years, and she's a citizen of the United States. She can be president. We need to just address the fact that she and Joe Biden will bring us to communism, socialism, I'm sorry, communism under the name of socialism, which was expressed very directly in 1969 in in a video that I played on Larry Elder's show last night, the audio portion of it anyway. We should just focus on the fact that Kamala Harris can't be president because she's pretty much pushing us toward communism along with Joe and Bernie and the rest of the far left that now runs the Democrat Party. It's not that she can't be president because she's not eligible. Let's end that nonsense. Let's just beat her on the facts, beat her with um, the platform, with the with the reality. Dan in Middleburg Heights, let me squeeze you in before the top of the hour. Hi, Dan, go ahead. Yeah, just uh, one or two other points on the character, Kamala uh, Harris. Uh, uh, her parents uh, were not citizens when she was born, okay? But, right. Uh, so I go along with uh, your last caller. but for doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They don't have to be. She was born in the United States, and by the birthright citizenship law, she is a citizen. And if you are a citizen, you're eligible to run for president. That's why Arnold Schwarzenegger cannot, even though he's been a lifelong American, uh, he was born in Austria, not okay. in the United States. Well, her parents, anyhow, for her character, as far as being a far-left radical, yeah. both of them were not only just civil rights activists, but they were members of the Black Panthers, and they were socially, especially the father, because he was a Marxist, the, you know, the, the Jamaican, yeah. Donald Harris. Yeah. He, he, they were socially, you know, lunching with Malcolm X. So these people are really, really far-left radical. So she grew up with these people. And one other point uh, along those lines is, 
you mentioned about uh, her dating, you know, uh, Willie Brown. Yeah. But you never mentioned the audience needs to know the guy's a married man, and and and. Uh, I, I think Peter- at the time, I think at the time they were quote unquote dating a sixty year old and a twenty nine year old. I think Willie Brown was officially separated from his wife. He may still have been married. The divorce wasn't final, but they were not together. So you know that is what it is. To me, uh, the real issue here is is what a twenty nine year old would do to to advance her career. That lets you know everything you need to know about her principles and her morals and what kind of a president you might be electing. Okay, uh, get a time out here for news. Top of the hour, Jack Windsor next. AM fourteen twenty, the answer. This is AM fourteen twenty, the answer.